you that you came to this earth to give us life and to give it to us abundantly. What a sacrifice they require, though, to give us that life. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you went to the cross. That was integral to your whole mission for coming to this earth. I mean, we praise you because you resurrected. We praise you now because you're the risen King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Lord, in view of your great mercy, may we offer our bodies and offer our lives as living sacrifices, laying ourselves down before you because it's only as we come to the end of ourselves that we can find that true life that you give us. And so, Lord, as we go about our days, as we even go about the rest of this time together this morning, I pray that we will be attentive to what you want to say to us and that we will be quick and ready to put into practice what you are calling us to do. So, Lord, may we give us willing hearts, open ears, and a will that's ready to follow you wholeheartedly. And I pray that that will be true not only of us as individuals, but of us as a church. And so in the rest of our time together this morning, Lord, may it be a fruitful time. May you challenge us, may you encourage us, and help us, Lord, to follow you more and more faithfully into the future. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Now, back in April, I was anticipating the fact that this series called The End of Me was going to be done here in in mid-May, and I was thinking and praying about what should the next sermon series be. In my prayer journal, I wrote, Father, what does the congregation need this summer? I had a number of different ideas in mind, but I really wanted to focus on, okay, God, where do you want to lead us? Where, where, where should we go? Where, where are you leading us as a congregation? So in the midst of just reflecting and praying on that, I wrote this in my prayer journal. I wrote, following God into the future. We are at a pivotal time in the life of freedoms. So many big things are converging. And I think there really are a lot of really exciting things going on here at Freedom's Church. And I believe that we are in the early stages of a very pivotal season in the life of the church. Now, a pivotal season is when you come to a fork in the road or when you come to a turning point. Or when you have big decisions to make that will have a major future impact. In our personal lives, a pivotal season happens when a person graduates from high school. Or you can have a pivotal season when you get married or when you have a child or when you start a new job or when you move to a new town or when you retire. These are all examples of pivotal seasons. Or uh, we can have pivotal seasons really in the course of the world when our nation elects a new president or when nations go to war with one another or even when a new technology begins to, to, to catch on. It's a pivotal season, and churches can have pivotal seasons as well. Freedom's Church is 163 years old. That's a lot of years. That's a lot of pivotal seasons that have happened down through history. I mean, our history extends back to before the Civil War. I mean, it's kind of mind-boggling to get your mind around that. And Freedom's Church, as I said, has gone through a number of pivotal seasons down through the generations. And today we are not going to do what we normally do in a sermon where we normally are digging into a particular passage of Scripture. Although if you'd like to open your Bibles, you can open to Joshua chapter 1 because we will reference that a little bit later. But today we're really laying a groundwork for this whole series that we are beginning uh, today and that we'll dive into next week. But as part of that groundwork for this new series, I want to highlight a few of the pivotal seasons in Freedom's history. Back in 1853... There was a Bible study that started in the home of a man named Jacob Eckel. 
He started this Bible study, and not too long after that, a Lutheran pastor came through Port Washington, found out about this group, and organized them into an official church. And so in January of 1854, Friedens was founded. Now they started meeting in a schoolhouse, and in 1856 they purchased a piece of land. It happens to be this piece of land that we are on right now, and they purchased it for $50. Times have changed, haven't they? $50, a nice parcel of land up here on the hill. Now, fast forward, they they constructed a a small church building on it pretty quickly. Fast forward a few decades, and the current brick structure that's around us right now was built in 1889. The cost of the structure when they built it, $7,394.85. I like how they even include the cents, 85 cents. I guess when your number is not that huge, um, I mean, it probably seemed huge to them, but, but you know, they, they calculated it down to the penny. So this was a major turning point, a major pivotal season in the life of the church that continues to impact us today. Now move forward in the early 1900s, society was changing in some very significant ways that also impacted Frieden's church. Um, sometimes, though, as you may know, people resist change. People don't necessarily like to change. Um, and, for example, 1902, the congregation voted against adding electric lights to the church. Now, thankfully, they changed their mind because in 1905, they voted to add the electric lights, which I'm, I'm thankful for. Also, for many decades, all the ministry here at Freedom's Church was conducted in German. It was conducted in German, but society and demographics were changing. More and more people were speaking English. Fewer and fewer people were speaking German. And so the congregation had some choices to make. And so in 1919, there was a vote on whether or not there should be an, a church service here at Friedens in English. Now, it was not a vote to, to change the entire ministry of the church to English. It was just a single church service. Out of several church services, should we have one in English? Well, in 1919, the congregation voted, no, we don't want any English church services. But they had to face the fact that, that society is changing. And so through the course of the 1920s, they began experimenting with some English church services. And by 1930, the majority of the church's ministry was conducted in English. Now, there are many logistical details with this transition from German to English. For instance, all the church's official documents had to be translated. And it was a very symbolic and significant thing when the church made the decision to to now take the church's meeting minutes in English rather than in German. And all these changes were pivotal in terms of the church's ongoing fruitfulness and effectiveness in ministry. Now, through my years here at Friedens, I've heard many people ask about the name Friedens. What does it mean? Where does it come from? How do you say it? I, I've heard the name butchered in a number of different ways. Many people try to pronounce it Fridens or Friendens or Freens. Um, sometimes we get mail here to the church to Friends Church. A nice ring to it, but that's not technically our name. Telemarketers, I, I, I've never been a telemarketer, so I'm not exactly sure how it works, but I'm imagining they pick up the phone and, and then um, they see the name on the computer screen and they're just reading it right off, just right off the cuff as they see it there. 
It's funny to hear telemarketers try to handle the name Friedens. Um, I mean, some of them just boldly persist in pronouncing it incorrectly. Hey, I'm calling you all there at Friedens Church to offer you this great, this great deal that we have. I'd love to come out there to Friedens Church and be able to help Friedens Church adopt these new things that will really help you out. So they boldly persist sometimes, and others, they call, and, and they start stumbling over the name. Like, they, they try it several times, and it's not working, so they ask, how do you say it? Now, th- there's this reality that, that our name is German, and so in 1931, there was a vote on whether to change the name of Friedens from the German word Friedens to the equivalent English word for peace. The fact that we are still Friedens Church should indicate to you how that vote went. And so a number of things were going on there in the early 1900s that shaped the direction of Friedens and still influence us here today. Now, let's move ahead a few decades. 1957, another major pivotal season in the life of the church was a denominational merger that led to the formation of the United Church of Christ. And Friedens was a part of that denominational merger. And this became a big deal as the UCC grew increasingly liberal in the upcoming decades. And so in 1991, a huge pivotal season in the life of the church was the decision to become an independent, non-denominational church, to leave the UCC. And the motivation behind that was to refocus on the foundation of the Bible and of the gospel of, of salvation that comes through faith in Christ. Then in 2002, or so we're reaching our current millennium, 2002 came the fire. The fire happened when lightning struck the steeple, started a fire that destroyed the inside of the sanctuary. But in the process of rebuilding the sanctuary, it led to to a new level of unity among the church family. On top of that, it led to a number of changes they rebuilt, including technology updates, bringing the technology up to modern standards here in the sanctuary. Um, On top of that, the sanctuary flipped 180 degrees. So now this is the front. This used to be the back. That used to be the front down there, but it flipped around. So there were significant changes. As you can see from these pictures, the sanctuary has evolved a lot down through the years. It's kind of cool just to see this history uh, that's behind us here at Frieden's Church. You see those pews in those pictures? Do you like sitting on nice padded pews rather than hardwood? Well, you can thank the fire for that. And so that was a pivotal season in and around 2002 in the life of Frieden's Church. And one more pivotal season I want to point out was in 2008 when Frieden's joined the Evangelical Free Church of America. This change was a long time in coming. Uh, there, there was a long process of nearly a decade leading that change. But this, this decision to join the Evangelical Free Church of America solidified Frieden's ongoing commitment to the authority of Scripture and to the gospel of salvation through faith in Christ. And also the EFCA connects us with a network of strong, like-minded churches in addition to giving us valuable coaching and support and resources. And so we look at Frieden's Church and we have a long history. I mean, it's really a rich, really interesting history. You look at this picture up here. It's of just right out there in front of Frieden's, 1929. That picture was celebrating Frieden's 75th anniversary. It's kind of mind-boggling, isn't it? 1929, Frieden's church was already 75 years old. 
So we have this long, rich history. I mean, it's really interesting to look back um, at what happened in the past. But we want to make sure that we don't get stuck in the past. We want to, to learn from what happened in the past. We want to be thankful to God for, for the good things that he did in our past. But we don't want to live in the past. We don't want to get stuck in the past. Uh, we want to live for the present and focus on where God is leading us into the future. I mean, you think about driving a car, riding a bicycle. I mean, there are occasionally times as you're driving that you look in the rearview mirror or you're riding a bicycle, you just look back to see if anything's back there. But if you're constantly driving or riding like this, what's going to happen? You're going to crash. You do occasionally look back, but your main focus needs to be on what's ahead of you. And unfortunately, there are many churches that they get stuck in what happened before. They get stuck in the past. They need to maintain the traditions. They think, well, it's always been done that way. Well, we always had services in German. Why not continue it? But if we get stuck in the past and we aren't able or willing to adjust to changing culture around us, churches do that all the time, and their ministry stagnates or even dies rather than moving forward. And so we want to honor the past. We want to remember what God did, learn from that, thank God for that, but also at the same time be focused on where is God leading us into the future. And thankfully, even though we have this long history, we are alive. God is at work in our midst. And this is why I wrote in my prayer journal that we are in a pivotal time in the life of Freedom's Church. There are so many big things converging in what God is doing in our midst. So I want to point out a, a few of those reasons why I believe this is a pivotal time in the life of the church. Seven reasons to be exact. One reason that I look at this as a pivotal time is numerical growth. In the last three years, we've seen a 40% increase in attendance here in the Sunday morning services. A 40% increase. In addition to just being numbers, these are people. I mean, so many people that God is bringing to Freedom's Church from so many different backgrounds with different talents and experiences and gifts and, and passions. People of all ages. Some of them, uh, some of the newer people are seasoned veterans in ministry. Some are just exploring Christianity for the first time. Many others are somewhere between those two ends of the spectrum. But God's bringing us all together to accomplish great purposes for the sake of his kingdom. I mean, granted, we have, I mean, all different ages coming to the church as well, including many young families and children, which is very encouraging. And, and, and this growth does enrich our fellowship within the church family. But I believe that the purpose that God is bringing us together is not just for what happens in the church family. But I'm excited about what God wants to do through us in the surrounding community to help more and more people come to know Christ and grow as his followers. And really, as, as more people get involved in the Freedom's family, it increases the potential to have a deep impact on our community. Speaking of community impact, I think of just community outreach and how, how we have the vision team that is moving our outreach to new levels. We've been talking for years about the importance of what we call our out relationship with the surrounding community. We've been striving to equip and inspire each one of us to live as missionaries in our various spheres of influence. But I believe that, that we are now in a stage with, this, with the work that the vision team is doing, moving us to new levels of teamwork and integration and focus on blessing the people of our community through Christ-centered love so that more and more people will become followers of Jesus. 
In fact, in the upcoming weeks, you'll hear about several new initiatives that the vision team is, is working on that will help us to engage in practical ways in ministering to the people of our community. And so we have community outreach on top of that, expanding in scope. Beyond that, we have global missions. I mean, we, we have 12% of all of our income that comes in the church goes to missions work in other parts of the U.S. and in other parts of the world. 12%. If you give $100 in the offering plate on a Sunday morning, $12 of that goes automatically to missions work. But I'm encouraged by the work of the revamped missions team which is working to really increase the strategy with which we engage in missions so that our missions work will be even more fruitful and more intentional and more impactful, that we will be more and more faithful stewards of the money that God is entrusting to us to work and to put into action for his kingdom. So that's encouraging to me, and I think that's part of what makes this a pivotal season. But I also think of our disciple-making process as a church. Jesus said, go make disciples. Paul says, I'm giving everything I have. I'm committing all my energy to helping people grow in spiritual maturity. If you think about the church like a car, a car is driven by the engine. It's propelled forward by the engine. And if the church is like a car, disciple-making is like the engine that drives us forward. If a church is not active and fruitful in making disciples— who are making more disciples, who are also growing their own relationship with God, we're going to stagnate. Disciple-making is what has to drive the church. Because if we are just focused on, hey, let's have some Sunday morning services and classes, or hey, let's go out there in the community and do some outreach and serve them and point them to Jesus. But if we are not ourselves growing as followers of Christ and helping others to grow, we're going to stagnate. And over the years, we've learned a lot about things that work and things that don't work as well for helping people to grow as disciples of Jesus. And I'm excited about some changes that we're going to be implementing in coming months in our disciple-making process to help more and more of us experience the joy of being transformed by Jesus and the joy of helping others become followers of Jesus and grow as followers of Jesus as well. Now, there's an interesting thing that's happened as we've been trying to clarify our disciple-making process. The leadership board, we were talking about this recently and just realized, you know what? We need to do some more clarification and kind of the big picture of where we're going as a church. Clarifying the essence of the church. Because we have a mission statement. We have a vision. We have values. We have a lot of great activities going on. But what are the common threads that really tie all these things together? I mean, how does the mission tie into the vision and tie into the values? And so what we discern is the need to clarify the essence of the church. What this means is that, okay, if you sweep away everything that's not essential in the church, I mean, even things that are good, but they aren't absolutely central and essential to who we are as a church and why we do what we do, what is left? And we believe that clarifying this essence of the church is going to be incredibly valuable for, for, it, uh, for creating increasing unity and direction and clarity for all of our individual ministries in the church as well. So it's exciting to see where that is going. Also, I think about Freedom's facilities. We are working on updating Freedom's facilities. And I mean, as I look at all these things, and I still have even one more bullet point after this, it's like, wow, there's a lot's going on. And a lot of these things started to come up semi-independently of one another. But that's why I say it's the convergence of so many pivotal things in the life of the church right now. 
So we have this process of updating Frieden's facilities. We have a team beginning stages of working on just kind of some brainstorming, information gathering right now. But when we talk about updating uh, Frieden's facilities, we're not talking about just some coats of fresh paint in the hallways or some, some new light fixtures. Really, everything's on the table for consideration because when you have an old church, you have a building and decorations that have kind of been assembled piecemeal down through the years. And so what we are seeking to do is analyze what's going on here at the church in terms of the facilities inside the church, even outside the church building, and just ask, what are the ways that things can be revamped to create a more welcoming environment? An environment um, that is more conducive for ministry, where things are more integrated and make more sense to newcomers. If you've been here for a handful of years, there are a lot of things that you walk right past every day, or you know right where the nursery is. If you have a newcomer who comes in the door and asks you, where's the nursery? How can I get to the nursery? What I recommend is walk them down there. For one, that's a very friendly relational thing to do. Otherwise, try standing up there at the door and give them directions down the nursery. It's not that easy. When you go down the stairs and you take a right, you take another right, you go a little ways, take a left, take a left, then you're at the nursery. I mean, those types of things. Um, At the very least, signage would be helpful. So, so we're just examining Frieden's facilities, asking how can they be revamped in a way that is more welcoming and more conducive for our ministry activities both now and in the future. And on top of all these things, I think of financial blessings. In the last year, we've been blessed with significant one-time um, finances that have come into our church through a, a significant bequest and also through the sale of the Cedar Court Parsonage. But I also think of the ongoing giving of the Freedness family. If you look in the bulletin, bottom right corner, you will see that currently we, for the fiscal year, which runs from August 1st to July 31st, we are at 105% of our targeted giving. I want to say thank you for your generosity. I mean, it's encouraging to see that. I want to encourage you, keep doing that. Um, Keep giving generously. Don't think, oh, we're doing fine. We can go in cruise control now. Because, you know what, finances enable us uh, to, to continue to expand the ministry of the church, of what God is doing to expand his kingdom through our community and throughout the world. And, but it's encouraging to see the increasing uh, just financial viability and strength of the church, which is going to help us to continue to expand our ministry in the future. Now, I look at all this stuff, and, and this list of seven different items up there, and I think of Luke 12, 48. Luke 12, 48, Jesus said, From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. I think, you know what? God has blessed Freedoms in many, many different ways. I mean, the financial resources, the, 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 all the people here, I mean, special people who I just enjoy getting to know, but also people who have many different talents and skills that can be utilized for the expansion of God's kingdom. And I think God's blessed us in many, many ways. And he expects us and he calls us to use these things in a way to expand his kingdom and bring glory to his name and not just to benefit ourselves. And so when I think about this being a pivotal time, I think of the importance of being faithful to what God is calling us to. As I thought about this pivotal time of following God into the future, which is, from our angle, a bit unknown, I thought of the book of Joshua. 
book of Joshua. And so through the course of this summer, we're going to be studying the book of Joshua about following God into the future. Because that is what the book of Joshua is all about. Now, on the one hand, the future that they, the Israelites were experiencing back in the book of Joshua is quite different than our future. I mean, they were following God into the promised land. And here at Freedoms, we aren't following God in some geographical area. And our future is not, from our angle, quite as clearly defined as what theirs was in terms of a land that they are going to. But like Freedoms, Israel had experienced many pivotal seasons in their past, just like we had. And I want to just share some of their pivotal seasons in their history that, that help us understand what, we'll, we, what we will be seeing in the book of Joshua. One pivotal season was when God gave his promise of blessing and land. That, that promise came to Abraham centuries earlier. God told Abraham that his descendants will dwell in a special land in which they will have rest from their enemies and in which they can worship God freely. But before they inherited the promised land, they experienced slavery in Egypt. That was another pivotal season in the life of Israel. They were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. But then came the exodus from Egypt. God raised up Moses as the leader of Israel. And through Moses, God led Israel out of captivity and towards the promised land. Now you would think that Israel would be happy to be free. I mean, what if they? They were enslaved for 400 years. They were crying out to God, God, help us out here. And they were free. But, like everyone down through human history, they don't really like change that much. Even the change from slavery to freedom. They quickly forgot how hard it was as slaves. And so they get out, they're journeying towards the promised land, and they start to complain. We don't like the food. We don't like um, the water that we're getting. We don't like our leaders. Why can't we go back to Egypt again? They started grumbling and complaining. Then they sent out spies to check out the promised land, to scope it out. Uh, and, And the spies came back. And then there was more complaining, saying, we can't take the land. The cities there are too fortified. The people there are too strong. Why did God send us out here to die in the desert? Complain, complain, complain. And of those 12 um, spies that were sent to the promised land, only two of them said, you know what? We want to be faithful to God. We believe that God, he's leading us. He is going to lead us into the promised land. He will deliver that land to us because he is faithful to his promises. The two men who said that were Jacob and Caleb. Not Jacob, Joshua. Jacob was... A while below, before. Um, Joshua and Caleb. Um, there was 40 years of wandering in the desert before they entered the promised land, though. And that 40 years was because of their disobedience. Because of their disobedience. God said that, you know what? The entire adult generation that came out of Egypt will die in the desert before you enter the promised land. The only two who will be saved, Joshua and Caleb. Not Jacob, because he was long dead. Joshua and Caleb will enter the promised land. The rest of the adults will die before you go in. So after 40 years, the Israelites are on the doorstep of the promised land. God had done a lot in their past. But like us, they could not live in the past. I mean, they could reflect on what had happened. They could be thankful to God for what had happened, that what had happened in the past shaped who they are now. But they needed to focus on where God was leading them into the future. 
So on one hand, their future was very different than ours, but on the other hand, there were significant similarities and lessons that we can learn from the book of Joshua. So I want to point out four key themes from Joshua that also impact us as we move into the future in our lives and as a church. One theme is a theme of being devoted to God. We see that theme throughout the book of Joshua. Um, Joshua 24 verse 15 is well known where Joshua says near the end of his life, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. It's that devotion to God that Joshua really lived out throughout his life. And throughout Joshua, in terms of this devotion to God, it's clear that God is the one who's in control. God is the sovereign Lord, and we are called to submit to him. And so for our lives, for our church, just as it was back then, the call is not for us to bring our plans and our dreams before God and say, God, will you please bless these? No, God is God. And we are called to come before him humbly and with open hands saying, God, I surrender to you. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? I'm willing to follow where you lead. And that needs to be our attitude as well, that level of devotion and surrender to God as we move forward in our lives and our church. It really begs the question, though, of are we ready to apply the principles that we learned in the End of Me series? The idea of coming to the end of ourselves, of surrendering to God, of saying, God, I surrender to you my priorities in life. I surrender to you my dreams. I surrender to you my schedule. I surrender to you my finances. I surrender to you my relationships and my identity. I surrender everything, Lord. When we are ready to do that, have that level of surrender and devotion to God, it's really exciting what he can do through us. So in the book of Joshua, we will be learning about devotion to God. Connected to that, we will be focusing on this theme of obedience. In Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, God said, Be careful to obey all the laws my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Now, let me be blunt here. If we don't obey God, we are not really following him. And we may have a veneer of religiosity, but in reality, at that point, we're just doing our own thing. So God is looking for us to obey him, not as a way to earn his love, because his love comes to us as a free gift. That's what grace is. That was the way it was for the Israelites. That's the way it is for us today. We don't obey in order to earn God's love. We obey as a response of gratitude because God already loves us. And so obedience is a key theme through the book of Joshua. Have you ever heard of a man named Achan? If you haven't, come back in the upcoming weeks and you will see that Achan learned the hard way the importance of obedience. Because obedience is important in God's sight. And so we have devotion to God. We have obedience. Another key theme through the book of Joshua is the theme of leadership. It's interesting to see how the book of Joshua begins. Not on a very uplifting note. The book of Joshua begins, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, my servant, or Moses, my servant, is dead. That's quite the way to start the book. Moses had been the leader of Israel for decades. 
And now Moses is dead. But in verse 6, God said to Joshua, Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Joshua, you will lead. Now, leadership was vital for Israel moving to the promised land. Leadership for us as a church is vital as well. I recognize that I have a significant role in helping lead this church, but there are many others who are involved in helping lead the church as well. It's interesting as I was doing research for this message, I discovered that I am the 20th pastor, 20th senior pastor here at Freedom's Church. And I found some interesting pictures of some of the uh, pastors. Here are three from back in the 1800s. I was thinking, hmm, those are some cool beards. Maybe I should grow a beard like that. Um, but I don't think Shelley will have that. Um, maybe David. Can David have a beard like that? All right. Um, so interesting to see some of that history. I'm the 20th pastor here at Freedon's. Leaders have significant responsibilities. And there's a lot that we can learn from the book of, of Joshua about leadership. One other key theme that, that we're going to see in Joshua is the theme of courage. Listen to what's repeated here in Joshua chapter 1, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Verse, uh, verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. Verse 9. God's saying to Joshua, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now courage was very important for Joshua as he led Israel. For, I mean, Israel did not exactly have a dazzling track record of obedience to God or respect for their leaders. So Joshua had to have courage as they led. But on top of that, all the people of Israel had to have courage as they journeyed into the promised land. Because, you know, it was a hostile environment. There were people living there who did not necessarily want Israel there. So all of Israel, even all the common people, had to have courage from the Lord as they moved forward in following him. And for us, we need courage as well. I mean, us who are leaders need courage in any realm of leadership, including in a church, because you know what? People don't like change. So we need to have courage in following God and leading God's people and following him together. But on top of that, we all need courage to follow Christ in our day-to-day lives and to make him known to the people around us. Because we live in a society that maybe isn't necessarily persecuting Christians, especially on the same level as many other nations around the world. But at the same time, we live in a society where Christianity is not all that popular. And so we need courage as well. And there's a lot in Joshua that can be helpful for us in that. Now, as we look at these topics, I, I think it's important just to ask, okay, what does God have in store for our future? I mean, for Joshua... In in the book of Joshua, Israel experienced God's promised future. It became a present reality for them. So what does God have in store for us? And I have to say, you know what? We don't know exactly. We don't. That's part of following him. I mean, Israel and Moses, and as they were following God throughout the desert towards the promised land, it wasn't like they were given a detailed roadmap of, hey, this is exactly what's going to happen in the future. It's, It's called following God. It's not following a map. It's following God. And it's a step-by-step humble process from our end. But the process of following him faithfully into the future. But I believe that if we submit our lives wholly to him, he's going to do great things in and through us for his glory. So I want to ask us each to be praying. Be praying. One of the things to pray for 
is just to pray for clarity to discern God's calling for us as a church and God's leading. Because we don't want to just come up with our own ideas of where we think we should go. We want to be following God. So pray that we will have clarity in discerning God's leading. Also, please be praying that we will all have willing hearts to follow God faithfully. I mean, that's every single one of us that we will be willing to lay our lives before God and say, God, I want to follow you. I'm ready to surrender, not following my own will, but may your will, Lord, be done. May we have willing hearts to follow God faithfully. And finally, pray that God will work in mighty ways in and through us. Because we can plant seeds, we can water seeds for the gospel, but only God is the one who makes them grow. So pray that God will work through us for his glory. Now in the book of Joshua, God gave the Israelites something much bigger than themselves to live for. Down through human history, it's always been so easy to live for ourselves, to get caught up in our individual stories. But God gave the Israelites something much bigger, something that spanned back to centuries before to the promises he gave through Abraham and something that spans forward many centuries and even millennia ahead in the coming of Jesus. And for us, my prayer is that we will not get caught up in our individual stories to the point where we miss out on what God wants to do in the bigger story through our lives and through our church family. And in reality, God is giving us the opportunity to step into a story that's much bigger than even Freedom's Church. Because the, the focus is not on glorifying Freedom's or not on making Freedom's great. The focus is that God's kingdom would come and that his kingdom and his influence in the gospel will expand more and more and more around our community and that we will be conduits of the gospel and of God's grace to the people around us. May we each be faithful in, in, in submitting our lives to God. And following him into the future. Not for our own benefit, even though we do benefit from that, but ultimately for the benefit of God's glory. Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your faithfulness down through the centuries. Thank you that we get to be a part of a story that's much bigger than ourselves. Whether it's here at Freedom's Church, a story that's 163 years old and, and going still. We thank you for your work here at Freedom's Lord. Thank you. I, I personally thank you for all the people who are even here in this room right now, special people who I truly enjoy knowing and, and walking through life with. But Lord, we don't exist for ourselves. We exist for your glory. And I pray that as we move forward that we will follow you, submitting our lives humbly to you, and that we will see your kingdom come more and more through us in the surrounding community and in the surrounding world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.